Well, good morning, Parkview. My name is Doug Fern. I am one of the pastors here at Parkview. I currently serve as the pastor of the East Campus. Um, it's my joy to be able to worship with you here at Central this morning. Um, so many of your faces I miss seeing on a regular basis. We're seeing God do some really awesome things at East Campus. It's been such a joy over the last two and a half years to be a part of what he's doing there and to build community um, with the folks that are worshiping there. Uh, but I think uh, one of the hardest things for us to do when we, when we left Central to start East, quite honestly, was to not see many of you. And so it's a joy to be able to be here with you this morning. Um, yeah, it's, it's a joy. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Doug. You guys have such wonderful leadership, such wonderful pastors here at Central who care for you week in and week out. Um, it's truly an honor for me to be able to stand behind this pulpit this morning. So thanks for that opportunity. Um, we are in a series, I believe it's called Life Matters. So we've been talking about the home. We've been talking about marriage. And, and this week, it may seem like a bit of a turn, but I, I promise you it is not. We're going to focus specifically on our city. And so the title of the message is City Matters. If you have um, a, a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, I, I would invite you to take it out and open it to Jeremiah 29. Um, you will be incredibly helped if you have um, God's Word open with you this morning. We encourage folks uh, at East Campus on a regular basis to bring their Bibles with them. We have a, a saying that we use regularly there. It simply is, bring your Bible to church, okay? <laughs> so I, I implore you to do the same thing. I just have this wonderful dream of, you know, growing up, seeing uh, my mom and dad going to church on a Sunday morning and seeing them walk in to the church on Sunday with Bibles in their hands and um, and even the offering, being able to physically see them um, make, make, a, make an offering and give tithes on a Sunday morning, it reinforced for me the value of really what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be able to see my parents do that. Unfortunately, so much of what we do right now is online, and it's for wonderful reasons, and many of you might be swiping right now to, now to get to Jeremiah, and it's, it's really helpful, but we also have to be mindful of the fact that, that our children and, and those among us here at church don't see those things happening. And so publicly, this is our time to gather as a people, I would encourage you to bring a copy of God's Word. If you don't have it, it's okay. I believe the words will be on the screen. A um, couple of things before I get started. First of all, yes, I was in the sun yesterday, okay? So, normally don't look like a tomato. Secondly, um, I'm struggling with my voice. This is actually the best I've sounded in about three weeks. Um, and so I don't normally sound like a frog, okay? Um, I might be clearing my throat. I'll try to, Dave can maybe adjust the microphone if that needs to happen. But... Let's just dive in. Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 14. I want to read it, then I will pray for our time together, and then we will look at what God has to say for us this morning. This is Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 14. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken from ex into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah in Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan in Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said... Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build 
houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to their dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Hear you. you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to examine your word. God, we thank you this morning that you are a God. Just a reminder here this morning, you are a God who speaks. I pray this morning you would help us to be a people who listens. Lord, I pray you would take these truths which we believe and we proclaim to be absolutely eternal. And we ask that you would write them on our hearts. These things we pray in your name. Amen. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself in a new environment. Think of the seniors moving on. Odds are just in a few months, many of them will find themselves in a new context. They'll find themselves in a new community. Perhaps it's a city, a neighborhood, maybe it's a school, a foreign land, or perhaps a change in your career. Maybe you were a new visitor, just passing through for a moment, or maybe it's a total change in residency for you. If you, have, you will, if you have experienced that on any level, you will know the importance of having a guide, someone who can help point you in the right direction, how to operate with some measure of success in that context. Do this, don't do that, right? It's helpful to have some direction. A couple years ago, actually, well, it's a couple years ago, a couple years ago, now it's many years ago, um, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to take my first a trip overseas and um, spent some time in Eastern Europe and was with a small group of people. Uh, we, we, had, we spent some time studying some, some of the different cultures that we were going to be um, navigating while we were there and um, we felt pretty ready. We spent some time studying the language, felt like I had some grasp of what to anticipate and really how to navigate the new world. Um, got off our plane and me and this small group of folks actually from Parkview um, got onto a train and we were exhausted. It was a long, it was a long flight and we were really tired, lots of 
you know, just newness, right? So we got on the train. We looked for a car where we could kind of comfortably sit together. And we found one. There was, the train was pretty full. We found one car that just had one gentleman sitting in it. And there were two benches facing each other. So we brought in all of our luggage and, and we set it down and we kind of got comfortable. And I, I, was, I sat next to this man. This was in Poland. It was a, a Polish gentleman who was sitting next to me. And I sat next to him and peers were on the bench next to me. And our bags were all kind of at our feet. Well, about 10 minutes into the train ride, I saw what was inevitably going to happen. I was going to pass out, okay? I was exhausted. And so I took the liberty of raising my feet and extending my feet across to me and resting them on the bench or the footrest as I had converted it to be um, and just got comfortable, right? Then about just a handful of moments, I was asleep. I don't think it was more than maybe 10 or 15 minutes after I had dozed off and fallen asleep, I felt this weight in my lap. It was a foreign object that had not been there when I had fallen asleep. So i not quite sure what was happening, kind of slowly opened my eyes, looked to my left, and my peers were all asleep. And then I looked to my right, and the gentleman next to me was intently staring at my face. And I wasn't sure what to say, okay? And so I just kind of opened my eyes like, can I help you? And he, he asked me a question. He said, do you like my bag in your lap. He had picked up his bag that he was traveling with and placed it in my lap. Uh, again, not knowing what to say. I wanted to be hospitable, maybe. Yeah, I, I played along with the game and I said, no, I don't like your bag in my lap. And he glanced down at my feet and he said, neither do I like your feet on my bench. The message was absolutely heard. The servant was totally humiliated, right? Here I am in a foreign country thinking I'm going to do good work for the gospel of Jesus, proclaiming Christ in this nation. Little did I know while I was just within just hours of setting foot on the soil, totally offending the very person I had really come to share Jesus with, right? I would have done, it would have done really, really well if I had received that message in advance, if I was going to be effective in ministry, if I had any hope in fulfilling God's purposes for me while I was there, I needed to know how I was supposed to operate in this foreign place. Brothers and sisters, it's a much, much deeper level that Jeremiah's message accomplishes that exact purpose for us this morning. The question, really the big idea that the prophet Jeremiah is communicating to God's people, the question that he is answering is really a question, if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, it's a question every one of us should, on some measure, be asking on a continual basis. And it's this. How do the people of God live in a land that is hostile to God? How do God's people navigate life in a land that does not worship God himself. Folks, I don't know if you know it, but at this time in Israel's history, we will see this is their reality. And the argument I want to make this morning is it's your reality and it's my reality as well. And so the message that Jeremiah is writing to these exiles in Babylon, it is the message that we need to hear as well. If we want any hope of knowing how to navigate this land 
that is hostile in many ways to God. So this morning, we have three points. We'll see the message, we'll see the mission, and then we will see the motivation. The message. What is the message he's writing? Before we get at exactly the heart of what Jeremiah is saying, let's look at who he's saying it to. Would you look in your Bibles with me in verses 1? Yeah, just verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priests and the prophets of all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Jeremiah is writing a letter. His letter he is writing from Jerusalem and he is sending it to Babylon. See, sometime around the year of 597, we don't know exactly when he's writing it, but between 597 and 587, odds are he's writing it somewhere in that period of time, B.C. What happened in 597 B.C. was a significant moment in the history of God's people. King Nebuchadnezzar, with the rise of the Babylonian Empire, came in and for the first time sacked the city of Jerusalem. What, what they did was they essentially creamed off the, the cream, they took off the cream of the crop from the very top, some 10,000. You'll see this. Um, the, the story is told for us in, in the book of Kings, in 2 Kings chapter 24. That he took off essentially 10,000 people and sent them into exile. He would return a second time around 587, 586, and essentially we would see the fall, the total fall of the city of Jerusalem. So what Jeremiah is doing is he is left, he's one of the ones that is left in Jerusalem, and he is writing, instructing, prophesying, speaking on behalf of the Lord of how those exiles in Babylon are to conduct their life. We see in 2 Kings 24 that none remained except the poorest people of the land. Jeremiah is writing to the exiles. Now, we can all probably relate on some level to what it is like to be an exile, somebody who is in a foreign land. Essentially, what it means to be in exile is you um, are not where you want to be. If you are not where you want to be, you could probably identify with these folks. You will maybe see yourself as being a long way from home. And the more forceful, the more traumatic that uprooting is, the harder, the more challenging it can be to make sense of your life and the world around you. And as you might imagine, God's people were struggling to do just that, making sense of what has become essentially their new reality. Their world had quite literally crumbled around them. They had been uprooted from their land, the promised land, the land that their very identity was tied to as a people. Now that they were no longer had this promised land, many, their identity was even in jeopardy. Who are they? Now they are dislocated, they are discouraged, they are defeated, and they are facing a future that is full of despair. Can you imagine the questions that they are asking? What are we to do now? Is God still with us? Is he still our God? Those are the questions I would be asking. I assure you, those are the questions they were asking. How should they respond to this new reality? Well, verses 5 and 6, Jeremiah is absolutely clear how they should respond. This is his message. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. What an odd message. What an odd message. Build houses. 
I guarantee you this is a shocking message. Probably not the message they wanted to hear. Settle in. This may not be your permanent home, but it is your present home. It may not be your favorite place to be, but it is your current place. Dig a foundation, construct walls and a roof. Call this city your city. Plant gardens. Don't just build homes, but plant gardens. Become a productive, contributing member of this economy. Don't expect them to do it for you. Get your hands dirty. Learn how to work the soil. Understand the climate. Grow an appreciation for the cuisine. Get married and have kids. This may not be the life that you have chosen, but it is your life. Get on with living. You're going to be here for a while. Now, does that language sound familiar at all? God is directing his people to fulfill the original vocation that was given to humanity in Genesis chapter 1. Right? Be fruitful. Multiply. Work. Labor. Sounds very, very similar. Though they weren't in their land, God's law was still in force. And God's hand was still at work. And his message to his people was clear. Exiles, Israel, my people, participate in Babylonian life. This is a shocking message. And like I said before, this is not at all what they wanted to hear. In fact, there were others that were telling them something totally, totally different. If you look down at your Bible, to verses 8 and 9, we will see that Jeremiah calls out those who were telling them to do something totally different. Verses 8 and 9. For thus says the Lord, a host of God, here is you. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. See, what Jeremiah was doing was countering a different message. A different message. A message that others were proclaiming on behalf of God that God had nothing to do with. And essentially what they were saying, you see it in, seven, in chapter 27, verse 9. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, or your sorcerers who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon. Jeremiah's message is radically different. Lean in to Babylonian life. Don't sit on the margins of it. Participate in it. Now, the other message, the other prophets most likely were telling them exactly what they wanted to hear. Don't worry, you're not going to be here for a while. Stick with what is familiar to you. Stick around the people who you are comfortable with. Huddle up. We won't be here for long. While other prophets, while false prophets were calling them to live a life that is isolated and as comfortable as possible, God was calling his people to live life as deeply as possible, connected to and concerned for the social and the economic fabric of their new city. No matter the place of life or the time of life, throw yourself in, participate in living in Babylonian life. Now, I, I wonder, as I, as I reflect on this passage and essentially what Jeremiah's message is to the people of God, I wonder if there are some here this morning who need to hear that exact same message. I love Iowa City. I've been here since school. I've hung around, as many of you have the habit of doing as well. It's a wonderful city. It also can be a difficult city to live in. It can be a difficult city. I, I felt that, especially this year, there's been a number of close friends and, and 
in partners who I have seen move on from Iowa City. If you've been here for more than a few years, there's a good chance you've experienced that as well. In, in many ways, Iowa City, for, for many folks, and understandably so with the influence of the university, it is, in many ways, in many aspects for folks, a stepping stone to get somewhere else. It, it's a place that you come for a short period of time, you get equipped, you get what you need, and then you move on into your career or, or, or life, wherever else that takes you. And so as a result, Iowa City can be a very transient, transient community. You know, I can remember even in college, I think I was a junior, I didn't even know the east side of Iowa City really existed. It wasn't until I had to renew my driver's license, maybe some of you have found yourself in the same position, that I had to go to the wonderful place that is the Eastdale Plaza. And it was absolutely unlike anything that I had known as far as the university was concerned, right? I had no idea that that part of town even existed, right? Well, if you can identify or relate to that, Jeremiah's message is for you. Lean into, even if you're here, folks, for a year, for two years, right? Lean in to this city. Participate in living life in Iowa City. Know this community. Regardless of how long you are here, we see that God's people eventually are going to be there for some 70 years. Jeremiah's message is to us this morning, lean in, know this community, be connected here, right? I think the temptation for, for many folks, because maybe they're only going to be here for a short period of time, is to kind of just come and go, keep their world real small. If you're a follower of Jesus, the message of God to you is, is the totally opposite of that message, right? Know your neighbor, Build relationships with those who you live next to, who you work with, who you go to school with. Wherever you are, for however long you are there, that is your message. That is our assignment. Participate in life in this community. That's the message. And that message he gave for a reason, because God is on a mission. Why would they live like this? Why would they live like this? Again, rem remember how radical of a message this is. This is the very community, the very empire that had just destroyed their city, right? Had ripped them, sent them some 700 miles away from the promised land. And he's saying, build homes there. Work there. Live there. Settle in there. Let this city become your city. Why would he say that? Verse 7 really is the key. If you look at verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city for where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Folks, this is completely opposite to how they wanted to respond. Let me just give you a glimpse of how they were responding. Psalm 137, shed some light on it. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs. And our tormentors mirth saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites in the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall be he who repays you. 
that's where their heart was, right? Their heart wanted nothing to do with the welfare of Babylon and everything to do with its destruction. Jeremiah's message is shocking to them. It's absolutely shocking. The word here that is used for welfare is a word that many of you may be familiar with. It's the word shalom, often translated peace. It's a little different than our common understanding of peace, which is just the absence primarily of war or conflict. Rather, this word shalom is referring to the completeness, to the wholeness. Seek the shalom of the city is essentially a call to seek the wholeness of the city, to see the parts of the city that are broken and to try to help repair them. It's really a vision for God's people to see Babylon as a city that doesn't, isn't destroyed, but ultimately flourishes. That's what he's calling them to. This was God's purpose from the absolute beginning. Go all the way back to Genesis 12. He makes a covenant with Abraham and he calls the people to himself. His plan from the beginning, I will make you a great nation and through you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He doesn't say I will bless all the families except for your enemies. No, that's probably what they wanted him to say. But he says through you, through my covenant chosen people, I will bring a blessing to all families of the world, all nations. This is God's purpose from the very beginning. His plan hasn't been thwarted. It hasn't been altered. The place of God's people may have changed, but his purpose has not. What, what, what just emerges off of these pages for me is, is God's covenant faithfulness to his people. Right? They could be tempted like you and me are today to look at our circumstances around us, to look at what's going on around us, even the environment, the world we're in, and to see it like a, a, a tail spinning out of control. But God reminds his people, don't make those conclusions based on your environment. Make your conclusions based on my word. He's faithful. He's a faithful God. And we look to his word to, to remember his faithfulness. Don't look at what's happening around you, the circumstances in your life as a sign that God has abandoned you and left you. This is God's purpose from the absolute beginning. This is why Jesus in the New Testament calls his people the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The New Testament refers often to God's people as a, a people of peace. Jeremiah's letter was written for a particular people who were facing a unique challenge in an uncomfortable setting, but his message was not exclusively for them. This is the message which shapes us. It gives direction for how we navigate and operate here, even in Iowa City, in our context. As Christians, our present reality is actually very similar. Listen to how Peter refers to the early Christians in 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, we are exiles here this morning in this world. Our citizenship, we were told as we walk through the book of Philippians, is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This reality that we are exiles doesn't mean that we don't care what happens to the culture around us. Rather, we care deeply for our city. We become a people who are connected to our city, who are informed about our city. Decisions that are being made in our community. The people who are making those decisions, right? For many of you, this is an invitation into the public policy that is created here in Iowa City. 
that, that really orchestrates how this, this environment, this culture is governed. We become influencers in our city. We pray for our city. He says, seek the shalom of your city and pray for this city. As we look at the world around us, our community, and we see brokenness and we see immorality, our response as followers of Jesus, as the covenant people of God, is that our hearts should break over the sin that we see in our city. It should absolutely break. As we are confronted with a culture that seems to be increasingly secular and hostile to God, we can be very tempted to become passive, maybe even making smirk a bit of the, the, uh, the immorality that is around us. That is not the job of the salt of the earth. I've heard it said before that the salt of the earth does not mock rotting meat. Where it can, it saves and it seasons. And where it can't, it weeps and it prays. That's the job of the salt of the earth, folks. That's ultimately what, what God has, he's, he's, he's called us his people. He's called us his salt and his light to be put on display What's the motivation behind this? That's God's purpose. He's on a mission. He's inviting us into this mission. He hasn't abandoned his people. What's our motivation for doing just this? In verse 4, we saw something interesting. We skipped over at the time, but here it is again in verse 14. Actually, we saw it in verse 7 as well. Let me just read those real quick. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent, and the exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Verse 7. In verse 14, I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. It was God ultimately who was responsible for the Israelites being where they were. He was the one who had sent Nebuchadnezzar, right? Why would God do that? As you read throughout the book of Jeremiah and the other prophets, it becomes very clear that this was an intentional act of God's judgment. Judgment upon a nation, the nation of Israel, for their consistent rebellion against God. They had become a people of idolatry, right? They had given their hearts to idols, right? The, the gods of the land they wanted as their own gods. They had become a people of injustice and oppression as well. See that over and over throughout the prophets. God had given him his law. He had called them his people. They were supposed to be a separate. This was his design. I want to make a people for myself, a separate people, a holy people, a distinct people. And then the idea was that they were to image God's character to the rest of the world around them. But instead, what was happening was God's people looked just like their neighbors. They were no different than their neighbors in the ancient world. And God had enough. And they knew it. They saw their destruction ultimately as an act of God's judgment. That's why in many ways they had ultimately, while they were here on the fringes of Babylon uh, culture, they had in many ways lost hope. They, they had seen God's judgment as a sign that he had abandoned them, that he had forgotten them. They saw their removal from the land as the end of their identity as a people. And yet, it is in this context, it is in this exact state of despair, and in this judgment, this act of his judgment, that God speaks hope. Even when all else looks lost, there is hope for a future. And this hope would serve as their motivation for ultimately living out the mission that God has called them to. It wouldn't be a sudden change. 
In fact, we would be a generation. The generation who's actually hearing these words is not going to experience the reality of the new promised land, of going back home. They're not going to hear it. It's going to be their generations removed from that. Look at verse 10. When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. 70 years in exile before any of these, none of these people are going to be able to get home. This, then comes, for many of you, what I think is probably in this section, the most famous verse. And that's verse 11. I'll read it for you. It's a beautiful verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I would be willing to guess that there's probably a handful of those seniors who may have gotten a graduation card that had that verse written right on it. That would be my guess, all right? It's a very popular verse. It's a wonderful, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful verse. However, it's often taken right out of context. And oftentimes what we say when we're sharing it is not what Jeremiah was saying when he said it. You have to see that this verse, what it's not about, okay? It's, it's not just about having confidence in your ability and having dreams and hopes and aspirations for your life and that wherever you want to go, wherever you can kind of muster up the strength to do and wherever direction that God has placed on your heart that you ultimately want to see your life go on, you head that way and God will bless it. God will bless it. Whatever your hopes and your plans are for yourself, God's going to bless that. Folks, that's not Jeremiah. That's Oprah, okay? That's Oprah. We have to make sure we see a difference. The book of Jeremiah is all about, the context of this verse is actually all about God disrupting the plans of his people, upending his people's dreams. They had dreams that had died, and he spoke these words to them. Dreams that these people themselves in their day on this earth would not see be fulfilled. And God spoke, Jeremiah 29, 11. In the midst of a, the very judgment of God, I would bet that if there was a graduation card, it's probably not a way of somebody communicating any sort of judgment to that graduating senior, right? But in this verse, it's in the midst, in the context of God's judgment. And, and there is a plan God is saying, and he will see it through. What kind of response ultimately should the promise of Jeremiah 20.11 produce? Well, 29.11, we see the response that it should produce in verses 12 through 14. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you. Ultimately, the appropriate response from 29 verse 11, the reality that God knows our future. He knows. He has plans. He has a purpose which transcends generations. It transcends cultures. It transcends time. His purpose ultimately for us, the resp appropriate response we see is repentance. It's a returning to God. Not a leaning into our own abilities and dreams, but a returning to God. Their motivation for living the life he had called them to was rooted in a hope. Though they may not see the promised land in their generation, God had not abandoned his people. Even in the midst of judgment, severe judgment, God was still with them. He was still in their midst. This is exactly what our hope is as a people. Our hope our motivation for seeking the, the peace of the city. 
ultimately we see the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that all of the promise of a God find their yes in Jesus. Now we stand at a different place in the time in just timeline of history. We look back on the cross and we see that ultimately God's fulfilling his plans through the work of Jesus and that on his body, the ultimate judgment of God for our sins would fall on him. He would bear them hanging on a tree. And he would stand in our place, the judgment, so that we could be a people who are one to God to embrace a living hope, a hope of a new creation that one day God will restore things. He will be. He is the God of peace. He will put things back the way they're supposed to be. It's an invitation to participating in his eternal purposes that ultimately he, he makes happen through the person and the work of his son, Jesus Christ who he sent to die for you and to die for me. He's calling us in this chapter to a hope. Hope for our lives, for our eternal destiny, and a hope for our city. It's an invitation to participate in the life here, to participate in his promises, to claim them as our own. As we look in our community, there was supposed to be a video of Faith Academy that was showed. It's good. Should we show it? Okay. Do we have time? Okay, let's just show the video real quick. Sorry, it's my phone. Okay. I have not met a group of teachers that are as mature and selfless as the staff that we have right now. Everybody knows that kids do not learn unless they love you and they trust you. And that's one thing that we're doing right here. One of my favorite moments this year was when a student who came to Faith Academy not knowing the gospel, the first time he prayed, and he prayed that Jesus would be welcome into our classroom. And it was such a, just a humbling moment to know that this child didn't know who Jesus was at the beginning, but he sincerely asked for Jesus to come into our classroom. Everybody should get to experience what it's like here with the small class sizes and just the love and the relationships. And I think that Everybody that teaches here has the ability to make very strong connections with their children. It's no secret that there is a gap in the community. And instead of kind of looking at the gap, we're actually stepping in. You think about Faith Academy and you, you only think about the kids sometimes, but it has been amazing to be a part of this organization and to see some of the other lives that have been touched. We support families with food, like on Thanksgiving, we're always providing, making sure that they have needs met. When Faith Academy started, it's, it's really humorous to think about now just the two classrooms here, and this year we have met our goal of becoming a K-6. Each year has been something new with adding a new grade, but I think that that's just always how the school will feel because that's just the way that the Lord works as He slowly is just revealing His plan and how great it is. It's been heartwarming to see the donations is to see people support us and to see people give you have to kind of step back and and celebrate it and and you know thank god for where we are in that process we're standing under this waterfall and god is just continually blessing us with different things and so we just continue to stand and see what he has for us
I've been to Faith Academy and I'd heard about it before. Um, really, that was supposed to be at the beginning, not the end. So I hate that it feels like that's the main application because that's not at all what I'm saying. But we're going to roll with it this morning. Really, when you think about where Faith Academy came from, like how it got birthed, really got birthed out of Parkview Church doing exactly what Jeremiah is telling us to do. And it wasn't just a vision that was birthed with a handful of folks, right? It was a vision that many of you here at Parkview Church got behind to see happen. It's, it's the result of leaning into the city, seeing things that are broken. If you think about some of the issues that we tackle, that Faith Academy just by itself addresses, you think of education, you think of race, you think of poverty and faith. Like, I don't know if you can find four more polarizing topics to be addressing in our community today. But, part, but Faith Academy is leaning into, helping to seek the welfare, peace in our city, helping to make it happen. Now, I would just invite you real quick as a team, as a school, many of you may not know, but I also serve as the head of school there. So I don't know if this is your first exposure to Faith Academy. I apologize. I'm just accept, anticipating that you know a lot already. But, um, but we could really use your help. Um, as, as Jeremiah calls us to pray for the welfare of the city, we would ask that you just pray for Faith Academy. It's been a really amazing year, K through 6. We're getting ready to graduate our first graduating class of 6th graders this year. We're super thrilled to do that here in a couple of days. Um, and as we look to next year, we've developed just real quick our own 501c3 over the last couple of months. We're pursuing accreditation through Christian Schools International. It's been a really hectic and busy year, and we covet your prayers. As we get close to the end of the year, we're still missing about six scholarship sponsors. And so if that's something that God lays on your heart, then hallelujah, praise be God. If not, we just really covet your prayers. Okay, God's doing awesome work, and it's ultimately, it's just one practical application of how this church and why I love calling this church my church is because it takes this call that we get in Jeremiah 29 1 through 14 incredibly seriously so much to the fact that this we could have tons of comfort in this building right now that we have foregone because we see as a church the priority of caring and 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 pro, uh, proclaiming God's grace in our community I want to thank you for that let me pray for us Father God we love you. Um, again, we thank you for this word this morning and, and every possible way that we could apply this with the people in this, um, in this room right now, Lord, is endless. And so I pray that you would continue, that you would have this word written on our hearts and that you would give your people um, the ability to respond in faithful steps of obedience, Lord, to your grace and to your mercy. We love you and we ask these things in your name. Amen.